Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Unconference. This week, we're talking about feedback and how others' opinions shape our work. You'll hear from our guests about how they coach others to give and receive feedback and how they're thinking about feedback during the COVID context while everything is conducted online. Here's a hint. It's not about metrics. It's about being human. Hi, I'm Ting Wing, and we're joined by our other co-host, Irma Vinkatesh, and our guests, Brandy and Daniel. I'm uh, Brandy Simula. I'm a professional development specialist in the Office of the Vice Provost for Graduate Education and Faculty Development uh, at Georgia Tech, and a board and Design Your Life certified career and professional coach. I'm Daniel Moglin. I'm an education specialist at the Clinical and Translational Science Center at UC Davis Health, and I work for the Future Career Exploration Program. And I serve PhDs and postdocs in their uh, career exploration. Hi, I'm Irmala, and I'm really happy to be here. You do sound really happy to be here. (laughs) So as we think about this question of how others' opinions shape our work, kind of wanted to ask you about what you do with feedback from those you serve and also from those with whom we work. So what about whenever you're doing programs and you get feedback? or you're doing some counseling and you get feedback? Are there memorable pieces of information you've gotten? What have you done with it? For me, and this probably comes out of having a background in assessment, I think of feedback as really formative for the work that I do. And whenever I'm putting on programs or developing a new process or model, I'm really sort of intentional about seeking out feedback and thinking about the sources of feedback that I'm getting and trying to be inclusive in terms of ensuring that the population that I'm intending to serve is one that I'm getting feedback from. So I think about that in terms of things like program design. And then in terms of getting feedback from other people that I work with, I think about sort of that 360 model, which for people, if you're not familiar with the 360 model, is essentially feedback not being unidirectional, but being bidirectional. And for me, when I'm getting feedback, I, I try to set up not necessarily guidelines, but rather than just making an open-ended ask for feedback, I try to be intentional about here are the things that I'm really trying to improve or that I'm not really sure how they're going and could could you give me some feedback on these specific areas or topics? And that for me is really useful in helping ensure that the feedback that I'm getting helps me actually improve. For me, I'd like to add that context is really important for feedback. And so I like to seek feedback even in the moment. So when I'm working with a student, how is this for you? Checking in and just getting that little moment by moment feedback might allow me to make some course corrections if I need to, or I'm on the right track, let's keep going all the way up through, you know, program evaluation, and then all the way up through like performance reviews that are actually formal and have really, um, you know, marked implications on on one's position, whether it's, you know, salary increases or, or anything like that. So the context is really important, but definitely receiving feedback on, on all those levels can help make, you know, cor- course corrections or just kind of be affirmative in, in the work that, that I get to do. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I, for me, that, that process of not waiting until it's almost too late to get feedback is really important. And I think especially if, if you're in a process where you are seeking formal feedback or giving formal feedback around something like performance evaluations, having sort of check-ins built along the way helps avoid 
anyone having a surprise and also just, you know, if there are tweaks that can be made along the way rather than waiting until something really starts going wrong, having a process where there are informal points for feedback and evaluation in addition to the more formal points, similar to what Daniel said, is really helpful. I'm curious, as you're talking about getting feedback in the moment, what are the things that you say to invite that and be inviting and, and, and say, I um, welcome it? So I'll give kind of a specific example. So I'm pretty sure all of us work with folks on their resumes, which is very classic giving feedback type of dynamic. In the class I teach, we actually do, you know, peer review. So I'm having folks review each other's resumes and cover letters. One thing I say is that, you know, not helpful feedback is good job. So if you, you know, if you just say good job, then you're kind of like actually not really giving anything substantive. I do give them some phrases to use. So for example, I'm wondering what you mean by, or it seems like you're trying to highlight this particular skill. Is that correct? Um, I found this particular section or phrase or word to be very effective. The way that I give feedback when I'm working with on a resume, I will often start with a meta conversation about feedback. I am going to give you feedback. What this looks like for me is I'm going to be going through your resume and observing, noticing, kind of like in the moment, what I'm seeing. And what the goal is, is I want to check to see if what I'm saying and what I'm seeing reflects what you're trying to convey. So if there is a, if there's a match, if what, if what I'm reading from your resume is what you are trying to convey, then that's great. That means what you're trying to convey, that message is getting across. So that's kind of the moment to moment feedback that I'm talking about, where it's like, I'm actually like going over their resume and giving them what I would call a reader's perspective of it. And then, you know, usually after, you know, going through maybe half or the whole thing, I like to do this check-in and say, hey, I'd like to check in. How was that to receive this feedback? Was it overwhelming? Was it too much? Do you have any questions? Is there anything I missed that you wanted me to focus on? So, but having that meta conversation about feedback really helped welcome the feedback. And so I'm actually, I'm getting feedback on my feedback too, right? I want that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I think it can be useful to frame feedback, especially when you're giving what we might think of as constructive or critical feedback. And I, I was thinking as you were talking actually about, this is a really a model that I draw on a lot in my own work. My dissertation advisor, when I was preparing to go on the job market, hearing you talk about CV and resume feedback reminded me of this. But you know, I, I was sitting in their office and they said, okay, I, I'm gonna tell you how an uncharitable reader would read your research statement but I'm gonna send you out, like this isn't the conversation you and I are having. I'm gonna send you out. And when you come back in, I'm going to be an uncharitable reader, give you my feedback and then send you back out. And that was really useful for them being able to give some really concrete and constructive and helpful critical feedback, but also separating like, this is not my evaluation of you as a person. And it's not even necessarily my evaluation, but sort of that making really clear like, this is how it could be read, not necessarily how I'm reading it. And I think especially when we're giving feedback and we can see where someone's going or what some is, someone is trying to do and they're not there yet, like being able to take that sort of, Daniel, like you were saying, reader's perspective and share like, this is how it could be read, not necessarily how I'm reading it and not letting that sort of damage our advising or mentoring relationship if we're in that position.
Yeah, absolutely, Brandy. Appreciate that. And kind of for that reason, so part of how I prep folks before we do the peer review is I actually talk about um, not just giving feedback, but also how to receive feedback. So for example, I tell them that, you know, each person is going to see different things in your resume and your cover letter. Some of the feedback will make sense to you. Like it will resonate with you. Oh, right. I totally missed that. That is really good feedback. I want to implement that. You also might receive feedback that maybe doesn't make sense to you. So what I I like to prep them in saying that these are your materials. This is your resume, your cover letter, like really, truly take ownership of that. And if someone is giving you feedback that doesn't resonate with you, like you have a fuller picture than the person giving you feedback. So take that into account. And then also I tell them to just, whatever the feedback is, whether you want to implement it or not, to be grateful because that feedback is, you know, that's someone who's taking their time and energy to comment and, you know, and process and think about what you provided. You can be grateful for the feedback rather than being defensive. It's, it's ultimately your choice. I mean, I do highly recommend folks to get feedback from different kinds of people and know that everyone's going to say something slightly different <laughs> and it's up to you to kind of like put the pieces together and, and, and put it in a way that really feels good for you. Because the goal when you're submitting a resume or cover letter is that you feel good when you hit that submit button. I appreciate that perspective, Daniel, because it is something I've noticed in my own work. I'm realizing now working with students on the idea of feedback is really working on students on the idea of an audience and that there are multiple audiences that are going to engage with them either in person, like through an interview or through a networking conversation um, or asynchronously through their materials, like their LinkedIn profile or their job application. And it, I'm realizing now, or I've been saying this a lot recently, create what you think is the audience of um, multiple perspectives that might engage with your material. So go and get feedback from like 10 different people. And what you'll learn not only is 10 different things you could do differently that might improve your materials, but also that there are 10 different ways to read your materials and that ultimately you can't actually control for one kind of interpretation. And so to me, I have learned that there's like a meta lesson in just asking people to get different perspectives because then they realize, oh, this is subjective. This is highly interpretive. Um, And at the end of the day, what I can do best is try to maximize my intention with my output. But beyond that, I can't control kind of the final interpretation. So I think creating peer review situations in particular is really um, an important way to give our clients or our students a sense of what's really going to happen out in the world when they're actually engaging with people related to their jobs. In your roles, as you have probably received feedback as well on the work that you do, these different perspectives from all the different audiences that you have, can you, you know, share a time where you received some feedback that was maybe a little bit difficult? And like, what did you do with it? How did that change or influence or impact your work moving forward? In one of my first sets of teaching evaluations, so when I was a, a new a new teacher, I was really concerned with being really professional and seeming really smart and like I knew what I was doing. And that turned into feedback from students sort of consistently across my evaluations that I came across as really cold and unapproachable, which was the exact 
opposite of what I wanted to happen. <laughs> and that feedback really made me stop and think about, and you know, I think really influences the work that I do right now with faculty and grad students. How can I convey that I have a, a set of skills and expertise that is useful to them while also being really approachable and carving out space for, this is a space where you don't have to know all the answers and where you get to get it wrong and talk about feeling like you're maybe not qualified, imposter syndrome, and like making that space. And for me, like that feedback really, you know, it, I was so surprised by it that it, it took me a while to process and figure out, I don't, I don't even know how to fix this. And then really helped me decide professionally, and this is still a value that I'm leaning into in my career 15 years down the road, is I would rather err on the side of seeming approachable than seeming like an expert. And that really influences just like day-to-day -day conversations, how I interact with people and communicate with people on email, how I do one-on-one -on -one consultations and leaning into that, hey, we're just people more than like, I have a set of skills in professional development, which I do, but like that's going to come and it'll be fine. <laughs> so for me, you know, one of the major components to the work I do is teaching this career exploration course. I teach it every quarter and oftentimes it's been two, two different cohorts per quarter. Um, I am getting a lot of, you know, feedback. And so the first thing I will say is that I do take the feedback seriously. I look over it carefully because I've taught this class now like a dozen times. And, you know, the feedback is overall positive. I feel confident in the structure and the container of the class, but certainly every single quarter I am making, making tweaks. The first class is kind of the intro class. In the last class we do a career panel. It's like, we really only have like eight topics to choose from. And that feels very limiting, but like a major change I've made is that we had an online, online presence as a, as a scientist class. And we talked about job search in a bunch of different classes, but it became apparent to me that I really wanted to have a class dedicated to the job search. And then I had to figure out, you know, this was based on the feedback I was getting and based on like what I felt like the needs were of the people I worked with. So I would say for me, it's like these minor tweaks, which are not minor, are not minor at all. They're actually quite, quite impactful. I'm glad you brought up the class, Daniel. That was actually um, something T and I were just talking about because I, I know you've been very thoughtful about creating this container and I suspect getting tons of feedback. I'm curious from both of you, what your experience has been now with this shift online? One thing I recognize and have experienced is literally I'm not getting the same kind of feedback in the setting that I'm used to getting when I'm in person, whether it's an individual appointment or in a group. And I'm, I'm wondering what, I guess it's a two-part question. One is what kind of feedback have you noticed that you're not getting and are, have you had to compensate in other ways to get it? You know, whether that's um, asking people questions you didn't used to ask or, or trying to understand nonverbal communication in new ways. The other question I have is, what kinds of feedback have you gotten from students and, and others you work with about how to, how to change what you do because you're in an online environment? I'll start. I'll say, I think uh, it's really challenging. <laughs> I think it's important to recognize that, you know, for people who are sighted using the visual, losing the visual cues of people smiling or nodding or looking confused and some of the auditory feedback. And, you know, I think being intentional about asking people to give a thumbs up or put, put a word into the chat, you know, like, and trying to do some of that compensating, but I think it is very different. And 
for me, one of the things that I think is helpful, so again, assessment backgrounds, I do pre-post evaluations for every program that I run. And for me, that's primarily from, from an evaluation perspective. But now I find myself building in questions where I want to have a better sense of who's in the room and what they know and what they need. And so those evaluations that I was before the COVID context, only looking at after the workshop to see, okay, where were they? How much did I change, if any? Now I'm really being intentional about looking at those before and adding some questions to a, a pre-event uh, registration. I feel like doing that in advance helps me figure out what are the pressure points people are feeling? What are people feeling confident about? So, you know, maybe I can reduce time on that. But yeah, Daniel and, and T and Armilla, I'd love to hear your, <laughs> your thoughts on what you're doing that's useful because I do think it's really challenging right now. I'm someone who's so, it's so important for me to be like, to build that connection and to build that space that I don't think, I think there's definitely pretty big trade-offs for never getting to meet in person. But one thing that Zoom provides is the, the great equalizer of everyone gets to be the same size box. So instead of being in a room where some people are really far away and some people are close to you, it's like everyone's like the same size. And also everyone has their name next to their picture, which, which just really makes it easy for, you know, using people's names. I, the classes I teach have like 20 to 22 people for groups that are, you know, probably 50 or above. I'm not speaking for that size groups, but for, you know, 20 size groups, it, it's been kind of nice. The chat box is something that I love utilizing. And that's a great way to kind of check in and get, get some kind of in the moment feedback on a scale of one to 10. How's the, how are things going or whatever you want to ask. And also when we have a guest speaker, now we're utilizing guest speakers from the East Coast and from Southern California. So it's got some really amazing advantages. In terms of feedback in the online environment, I would say that it's important to get clear on what kind of metric you're looking for or what kind of feedback you're trying to get. So for example, an easy metric or measurement would be like, I am, you know, want to check in about engagement levels. So engagement levels could be measured by how frequently the chat box is being used or are people speaking up. But for me in the class I teach specifically around career exploration, I have become sensitive and aware to the fact that a lot of processing is happening in the silence and actually silence is a necessary quality to the space I'm trying to create. If it's just talk, 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 well, that's gonna be great for the people who, who have more access to their voice in a, in a group setting. But I'm noticing that when there's actually silence, first of all, it's inviting those who don't have as easy access to their voice in a group setting to chime in, which is great. And also I can just feel and sense, although I don't have like concrete proof all the time that like there are, you know, we, we are grappling with like these big questions, things about values, things about future careers, reckoning with, I don't want to be a professor when I grow up, you know, these big, big questions. And for me, the silence in many ways is, you know, just as potent or more potent. I feel like I was just, I loved your comment, Daniel, about silence being a necessary quality for what you're trying to create, because I was realizing how much more conscious I am of silence and how, for some reason, silence has been something manageable in person, but I'm finding it deafening 
in comparison when I'm on Zoom. So I, I was just thinking, oh, sometimes I just wish I could say, can anyone hear me? Can you, can anyone really hear me? <laughs> you know what I mean? The silence is really hard for me and I tend to like fill it in my head with song. Sometimes that comes out in like verbally and I'm like, oops, I'm singing. But <laughs> when Ermola was saying that, it made me think of, you know, the Frozen song, I know you're in there. People asking <laughs> how you've been. It's like, I'm right here for you. Just let me in. <laughs> Which naturally calls to the stage the other fabulous Frozen phrase, let it go. I mean, I just have to let it go. There you go. <laughs> Frozen, it's everything. Yeah, I think for me, I'm I'm also, and I, I actually wish I had started doing this earlier in the pandemic, but it's just been in the last few weeks that I've started feeling like I should be lowering the bar for what I expect myself to be able to create in terms of engagement, recognizing that like in previous moments, no one's three-year-old was dumping cereal down their lap while the dog was throwing up in the corner and their partner's Wi-Fi just went out while they were giving a presentation. And like the lower engagement, like can we can we recognize that that doesn't mean our content is not useful, but this is just the, the context that we're working in. And that, that isn't to say like we, we don't try and create engagement, but I think for when we're thinking about ourselves as professional developers, like can we lower the bar for ourselves a bit in recognition of the context that people are joining us from? So I just want to stick that in here. Yeah, I really just want to echo that. People have a lot going on right now, you know, um, on a on on the global, national, you know, community, family, individual, the whole, all all the levels. So one thing, you know, one thing that we really do is we, you know, we talk about how the people we work with, we talk about an embodied an embodied approach to you know career exploration and really bring it in that like we we all have a body, you know, we all have identities and backgrounds and. And the, all these things are going to be part of our, you know, career exploration process and how we move through the world and take kind of a holistic approach, right? I'm not working with robots. I'm not working with research, you know, researchers who are doing one thing and one thing only. Like I'm working with humans and people who are, you know, who are, who are whole. Well, I, um, I have two more things if y'all are willing. One is you know, I was listening to a conversation with Oprah and she said that one of the unifying things with all of the guests she ever spoke with, when the cameras turn off and the lights turn off and the conversation is officially done right from the televised view, that every single guest would reach over and ask her, including Beyonce, was, how did I do? And then there's that feeling that you have, like I know I do, right? When I'm done presenting or I'm done teaching or I'm done advising, I want to know that I showed up for that person. Is there a mantra that you kind of say to yourself to say today was good or that was useful or was there something that you do to kind of quell your own anxieties about showing up for others? Yes, but uh, mine is not to say that it was okay or it was productive. Uh, my, my thing is, is everyone still breathing? Um, and if the answer is yes, then I'm like, basically everything is, is okay. And that you know, that I think just using that for my work in general, but also sometimes, you know, like when I give a workshop and I will just say, like, I think a lot of us, despite how much evaluation we do, are poor judges <laughs> of, of our own performance. And I, I'm thinking, for example, of a workshop I gave, this was actually two years ago now, and it stands out 
vividly in my mind because it was a brand new workshop I had never given before. Almost no one asked questions and there was just almost complete silence. And I was like, should I just stop and like let them go outside or check their email? I should just call this off. Um, but it was a workshop that now I give most frequently, which is on flourishing during job searches. And it was really heavy and emotional. And people were just like, afterwards, you know, several people emailed me and were like, I had never heard someone give me permission to think about taking care of myself or like prioritizing what I want in a job. And like the silence was because several people were like trying not to cry in the space. But I read it as people were like, what is this? Please stop with this ridiculousness. And I, did, I didn't have the ability to read that. So I think for myself, just that reminder of like, lower the bar for yourself, for other people, like in general in life, I think if we, you know, if you're someone who was socialized in the academy, like we're always raising the bar for ourselves, always just like that's how we've been socialized to be. And I'm trying to teach myself and also grad students and postdocs the opposite process. Can 95% be okay? What about like if 95% seems like it's not good enough, like what about 99%? Like, could it not have to be 100 all of the time? So that for me is my, <laughs> rather than trying to say this went well or this was productive. And I do think it's useful, you know, when I come away from something and feel like that didn't go as well as I wanted to think about the pieces that went well and also to try and identify what didn't work. But to really just lower the bar and say, everyone's still breathing. Okay, then th this is okay. <laughs> It can be fixed. <laughs> Thanks for that response, Brandy. Yeah, T, when you're asking the question, first of all, I appreciate you bringing in both Oprah and Beyonce into the conversation. Thank you for that. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. So what, what came to mind for me was what I share with the, the folks I work with around interview prep. And so we talk about what counts as a successful interview right? Is a successful interview that you got the job? Well, if you're, if that's your metric, then, you know, you're kind of putting into the equation a lot of things that you don't have control over. So what I would like, yeah, so what I'd like to bring into the conversation is kind of really truly understanding what do you have control over? And, you know, assuming it's a class, it's, a, you know, a one-off event or a job interview, you know, you have control over your preparation. You have control over what your goals are, what you want to convey, what you want to get across, um, and then and then doing it right. And then, so if I walk away from a job interview, uh, an, a workshop, or a class, and I'm, I can kind of check off my own boxes, then you know, I I did what I what I had planned to do, getting clear on what you have control over versus what you don't have control over. We're talking about being human and like breathing. I'm just curious. Or when we, you know, we talk about the feedback sandwich, we know that it's, you know, say something positive and then maybe the critical thing and then you end with something positive. But feedback sandwich is nobody's favorite sandwich. So I'm just curious, what is your favorite sandwich? Oh my God. I think my favorite sandwich basically is anything with sourdough bread and provolone cheese. Essentially, if you have those things, and in, in fact, nothing else, I'm set for the day. Uh, yes, the cheese theme for me. In fact, it doesn't even have to have bread, but any kind of <laughs> and bread and cheese are my two favorite food groups. So any combination of any of those things. Bread and cheese. 
winners. You can't yes. go wrong. I'll go with, um, I guess my more consistent delight, which is just avocado on gluten-free toast. And I'm going to go cultural here. I really like the bun mi sandwich, that French bread, the baguette with like the protein and the pickled veg and then like the cilantro, that like slab of mayo, like that's a good sandwich. I really appreciate it. I feel like I crashed this reunion of the, <laughs> the coaches meeting and I'm so glad. Yo, so thoughtful. So many insights from today. Thank you so much for joining us on this conversation. And Brandy, when you were saying like lower to 95, when you originally said lower the bar, I was like 50. And I was like, oh, <laughs> she said 95. <laughs> yeah. No, really, I'm trying to get us to 50 or 60, but I've seen too many grad student and postdoc faces when I say like, could you do 60 or 70? Where now I'm like, I can't start there. That's my goal to get them to get there. But I'm starting with like 98 or 99. <laughs>